Welcome to the Riot Woman podcast, which features creative conversations with artists, academics, and activists who identified with or were influenced by the punk and Riot Girl subcultures. I'm your host, Eleanor Callett Whitney, a feminist, writer, and marketer based in Brooklyn, New York, and the author of the forthcoming book, Riot Woman, a collection of memoir-infused essays about how Riot Girl has shaped my life. On this show, I'll be talking with a diverse range of guests and invite them to reflect on how punk, feminism, and the do-it-yourself spirit has impacted their adult lives and the work they make. I'm so excited to share this conversation with Marley Grace with all of you. Marley is a dancer, writer, podcaster, creative advisor, and the author of the book, How to Not Always Be Working. I first became aware of Marley in 2013 when she had recently opened her shop, Have Company, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She discovered my book, Grow, a field guide for success and sustainability for DIY creatives, and got in touch. I'm proud to say she followed some of my advice and built a very successful shop selling creative handmade goods and has continued to branch out from there. I reconnected with Marley early this year over Instagram, of course, and was thrilled to find out how she's grown as a creative and how she uses her many platforms to create, as she puts it, containers for people to empower themselves. I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge Riot Woman's brief hiatus over this past month. Life intervened unexpectedly when a six-alarm fire on April 3rd destroyed my home of 10 years, along with the 54 other units in my building in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. Thankfully, everyone escaped the building and there were only a few minor injuries. My building is a true Brooklyn mix of multi-generational and immigrant families who are both long-term and newer residents. My neighbors and I have been dealing with both the practical and emotional aspects of losing our homes and, for some of us, including me, the furry members of our families. However, we have been surrounded by an incredible amount of support from both near and far, including a tremendous response to the 44th Street Fire Fund on GoFundMe. I have lived in Sunset Park since 2002 and have always been impressed by the community spirit and the resilience of the neighborhood. Since 2016, I've been organizing with groups of neighbors to support immigrant families who have been targeted by this administration and to elect progressive democratic local officials. To now be on the receiving end of support from my local community members, as well as from the many communities I am part of thanks to punk, zines, and writing has been incredibly humbling. I am so grateful for all of you who have reached out and helped out in big and small ways. All of it has made a huge impact and helped me stabilize, settle into my new temporary home, and start the long road to healing. This is the first episode I'm releasing from my new apartment, and it is very quiet tonight, raining softly, and being creative again is giving me a feeling of peace and groundedness. If you would like to help my neighbors do the same in terms of settling into their new homes and rebuilding their lives, I will include a link to donate to the 44th Street Fire Fund in the show notes. This conversation with Marley feels like an especially appropriate reintroduction to Riot Woman. So much of her work is centered in improvisation, self-reflection, healing, growing, and charting new paths for oneself, which are all themes that have come into my life very strongly over the past month. 
In this conversation, we talk about the power of zines and DIY in a digital era, but the necessary shift from do-it-yourself to do-it-together and working in collaboration, surviving capitalism and valuing yourself in order to be generous to others, the importance of ritual and finding harmony between your many interests, and reaching beyond punk in order to bring your work and values to a wider audience. I recorded this conversation with Marley before the fire, but I'm happy to say it still resonates. I also want to mention Marley is teaching a movement and writing workshop entitled Composition and Practice in the Catskills, May 17th to 19th. If you're curious about joining her there, there's more information in the show notes. And now for our conversation. So I was cooking dinner and I watched your <laughs> and I watched your um, IGTV video. Oh, about amazing. Don't let, yeah, don't let the app get you down. Yeah. Which was funny because I'm like, okay, here I am on my phone cooking dinner, and dinner is usually my way to disconnect after Mm -hmm. the day of staring at a screen. So Mm -hmm. I found that funny, but I really enjoyed your um, advice. Thank you. It is just sort of funny to be talking about punk and DIY culture (laughs) through these very mediated technological spaces, which yet like help us spread it further. So just want yeah. to note that. <laughs> I know you have lots of thoughts about it. Oh, that. I have so many thoughts about it, but I, I already love where we're going with this. <laughs> well, first to open, uh, you just went on tour mm-hmm. and you were touring for your new book, How to Not Always Be Working, and also touring with Katie from Waxahachie. Is yes. that correct? Yes, yes that is how correct. Was, how was that, that hybrid book, dance, music tour and how did that take shape and how did folks respond to it um it was amazing and it's seems sort of fitting for the concept of these conversations of like katie katie is my best friend in in my real life uh off the screen and um you know our our friendship is rooted in in punk like in you know we met almost a decade ago in a basement at a house show in Grand Rapids and, you know, have both sort of had these interesting career trajectories that are rooted in DIY, but now, you know, reach a much, maybe a bigger audience than our Mm -hmm. selves a decade ago would have thought. So it's always really nice. It was our first time we've sort of like lightly brought in collaboration, which has been really cool. We've always been sort of like, you know, mutual support and fans of each other's work. And yeah, it was really amazing to sort of like, you know, I brought the books on tour and had them and had really interesting conversations with people just like at the merch table. But it was really nice to sort of bring contemporary modern dance to this sort of like indie rock world scene. And it was really well received and people seemed really excited, I think, to see dance in that context. And yeah, it was really fun. That's awesome. I love that idea. And I love that you did that. I mean, I know big pop acts have dancers. Yes. And I'm sort of over Grimes post Elon Musk thing. But when I saw her, (laughs) (laughs) 
and it was in a small venue. It was just her and she had two dancers and I just really loved that. And it really like brought it alive. So I think just dance and movement in punk is actually a very overlooked art form. So I love that you're bringing those together. I know it's not explicitly punk, but you know. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Uh, That's so cool. So how did you first get involved in punk or DIY culture? How did you discover it? And what's your origin story with all of that? Uh, My origin story is going to all ages music venues as a teen. Um, All ages music venues are a very important part of my history and my life and the kind of spaces that I like to be in and create. And yeah, I was probably like 15 or 16. And there were two spaces in downtown Grand Rapids, Skeletones and the DAC, which is the Division Avenue Arts Collective, which as an adult, I went on to be on the board of directors and run and then opened a space across the street from it. So that was sort of my introduction to going to shows and seeing people that were like me, who were weird like me. I I was lucky. I went to like an arts-based high school, like without sports that, you know, was famous (laughs) for its theater club. And uh, so I I was lucky to sort of, my high school experience wasn't like, it was like cool to be the weird kid. So I was, but I still like needed my my world. And it was, yeah, it was really the first time I like found my people. And then sort of like, again, in 2010, the first time I ever went to Chicago Zine Fest was my introduction to zines and, and sort of that part of punk and that part of DIY. And that was a really, a really important time for me to see this whole other way of self-starting and self-publishing. I love that. Uh, I talked to Talin Kelly, who's a musician and yoga teacher and sound healer out in LA for this podcast as well. And she also had part of her introduction to zines through Chicago Zine Fest, which I love that. And the first one as well. What was it about zines and self-publishing that felt like a different outlet than the punk or the DIY and all ages shows that you had experienced Mm -hmm. previously? I never had an interest in playing music and the sort of world that I was in was like very music based. And I've always been really happy to like be someone who books shows and hosts bands and makes flyers. And I like found so many other ways to exist within that community, but still was sort of like, what's my place within this? And being a dancer, like I, there wasn't like really a space for that necessarily in that world. I ended up making a space for it later by starting a performance project called Flowering with my collaborator, Sam Snedeker, and we would like perform at noise shows. And so I was like, you know what, I can do something here. But yeah, I think I'd always been a writer, like since I was really young, like I just would write these, you know, really like a die, I kept a diary and a journal and wrote really dramatic poetry and was always working on like a novel, like when I was like nine, you know, and, but I never like saw my, like, I was just like, I'm a dancer. That's what I am. And then I'm like a community organizer in the arts community in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So I, so seeing zines, I was like, wait a second, like, anybody can do this like anybody can make a thing and just fold it and staple it and sell it and say that it's finished and so it was a really amazing invitation for me 
that felt like it was an, another part of that same world that sort of like honed in to to my interests and my skill set. I felt like that when I discovered zines as well. And for me, it was in the late 90s. I sent away for some records from Kill Rockstars in the mail because that's how you got things <laughs> like that. <laughs> then, especially when you lived in rural Maine, and I got like a catalog for a zine distro with my order. And I didn't know what they were, but I just knew what they were. And as a writer, yes. I was like, this is exactly what I need. And similar to your point, I mean, at that point I was 16 or 17. So I knew I wouldn't be taken seriously by the quote unquote, like publishing establishment, yeah. nor would I even know how to approach that. I mean, in right. many ways I still don't. Mm -hmm. And when people are like, you're a writer, tell yeah. me how to do it. I'm like, eh. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Keep writing. Yes. Know. Same. So luck. Yeah. Um, really? But it was just so powerful, exactly as you say, to that and that the format of zines could could and still can be anything. And I think that has opened up a lot. I think in the early two thousands when I was really active in the zine community, there was this huge push from in crossover from artist book community. Mm -hmm. And so people mm -hmm. started incorporating all these crazy binding techniques and different papers. And now I think I see that even more with just, it's wide open. It, some of the zines are so abstract. I'm like, I don't know what this is, but I'm glad you're making it. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Not to sound old, <laughs> Yeah, no. but I do feel old. I'm like, yeah. what does it say? <laughs> <laughs> but you still make zines. And what do you think is so compelling about that format, especially when we have so many channels to choose from now? You know, I think that especially being someone who is so public and present digitally, mm -hmm. I think that it's been a really amazing way for people to like have this tangible object in their hand. And that's, you know, why zines are important to me and my zine collection is like, I, especially when I don't want to be on the screen and I can think about like, oh, I'm feeling anxious today. I want to connect with other sober people today. I want to think about growing vegetables today, you know, whatever it is. It's like, I can go to my zine library and there is a zine in there about that thing that I'm thinking about. You know, there truly is a zine for every, you know, single thing. And I think that that's part of why I keep making them. I'm also like a fan. I have a pretty unedited writing practice in terms of books that other people publish. There's an, there is an editor. Um, but in mm -hmm. terms of my, my newsletter that is digital or, the zines that I make or the writing that I do, I like that it's, I sort of like not rereading it and just being like, all right, this is done. And like, literally I can like go to, go to my printer, fold and staple it. Or if I'm going to have someone else print it, you know, send it, send it to the printer. And so I think, yeah, there's two sides of it. One that I'm just so drawn to the process that doesn't have to involve anyone else is really freeing. And also it like brings in the, a much more embodied connection with people knowing that they get this thing in the mail that they get to hold that I made is really it feels really important to my practice yeah it's such a beautiful tangible connection to people I really still am drawn to it after all these years I realized last year I would have been publishing my personal zine for 20 years yes <laughs> wow yeah 13 issues in 20 years I'm really you know that's great. 
on a great schedule. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds right on time to me. I don't yeah, know. absolutely. With zines, you're always right on time. That's right. I always remember, and this probably still happens with people who try to publish more regularly, the apology letter, like in the beginning of so many scenes, like, I'm sorry, this scene is so late. But it, there are a lot of work, especially if you want to do special printing or binding techniques. And I know the word expert is really loaded, but I'm going to call you an expert on work, wow. if that's wow. okay. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, you're welcome. Of course. You wrote this really important and packs a punch for a small size book, Thank How you. to Not Always Be Working. And it really resonated with me because I think, well, I'm going to say a lot of things about my feelings here, but I'm from <laughs> New England and, you know, I was definitely raised with this Protestant work ethic of, you know, your value is about your productivity. So it's very right. capitalist, but also there's sort of a redeeming sense to it. I was mm -hmm. not raised religious at all, but there is that Protestant ethic mm -hmm. folded into the culture in which I was raised. And I think when I discovered punk and zines, I kind of translated that over because I just wanted to contribute to this culture and connect with other weirdos and mm -hmm. push forward these ideas of social change. And as I got involved in more and more projects, both in Maine when I still lived there, then in Portland, Oregon when I lived there, and then here in New York where I've lived most of my adult life, I'm just working all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in your experience. You do many, many different things. Mm -hmm. And what is for you that relationship between do-it-yourself culture or punk culture and work? Like, where is the pleasure? Where's the balance? Have you had a similar experience where you're just like, whoa, wait, <laughs> you know, I'm just doing all the time. Yeah. No, I mean, I have every day I'm thinking about this <laughs> of my life. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's the joke of like the amount of work I spent writing a book called How to Not Always Be Working. You know, it's like, I'm always sort of faced with this you know, as someone who's sort of taken on self-reflection as a career, it mm -hmm. can definitely be a lot because I'm, yeah, every single thing I do, I'm like, how does this relate to my work or how am I going to share it? And so, you know, unproductivity practice are, practices are really important to me. And like, just before we were on the phone, I just like, I went to a meeting, I came home, I laid on my bed, I put my headphones in and like listened to like three songs and just closed my eyes and just listened to music without doing anything else. And, you know, I, I try to like have these little moments that are like really clearly like not working. But yeah, it's I really relate to what you said about like yeah, you're making zines because you like want to be seen as like a part of like a productive part of the community. And like this proves it by see, I have this finished object. And I feel the same. It's like I and it's tricky because sometimes I do feel it does make me feel better because I'm like, oh, it feels really nice to finish something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I live in a world now where I make a lot more money than I ever thought I would. I have an assistant. I have a lot of people on my team in terms of sponsor, a therapist, a mentor, um, a lot of friends. <laughs> you know, I have sort of <laughs> yeah. this like world that looks really different than the thing that is is from DIY in many ways. And I think growing up lower middle class where you're like, 
you an assistant like you're gonna have someone help clean your house or like answer mm-hmm. your emails like you're supposed to do everything yourself mm-hmm. and I think that that was part of like the importance that I learned from running the DAC was it was re- we have this whole manifesto on the wall about our commitment from the shift from DIY to DIT as in do it together. And so I think there's this importance to me that it's like, I get to make money so that I can support people that I love so that I can donate, so I can make reparations so that I can employ people. You know, it's like, I am trying to step into my financial abundance so that I can be of service, but it's, it's, I also like, sometimes I get a little shy. I do make zines, but I also feel like I make essays that are pamphlets and I Mm -hmm. get a little, I like to distinguish them only to like to honor zine culture. And that I do feel like some of, although I'm self-publishing and they're not art books, they sometimes don't feel like zines either. It's like, to me, I'm, I'm like selling things for $10. Like to me, I have like thoughts about like, I think a zine is maybe $5 or under, you know, it's like, I'm making up these own rules in my head, which I think sometimes are maybe policed by zinesters, if you will. But in other ways, it's like, yeah, I'm sort of always, I'm my whole life. I'm playing with like, where do I still fit into this world and where do I, do I feel separate from it in some ways? And where is that scary? So. Absolutely. I relate so much to what you just said. And I really appreciate you being so forthcoming with that struggle with that balance and just thinking about where you fit in. I mean, that's sort of the crux of this podcast and also my life. Mm -hmm. I've, chosen to work for other people for my whole career, first also as an arts administrator and educator, and now doing marketing and community building and content creation in the tech world. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like now that I'm able to support myself and my life better financially, I'm also better able to be of service to my community, which surprised me when Uh I realized that. Uh I was like, wait a minute. But also that idea of, I remember uh, Amy Schroeder who did the DIY Business Association and did Venus Zine long ago, another Michigan person said, you know, do it yourself doesn't mean do it alone. Yeah. You know, Mm, 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 and it is interesting because even in the more capitalist spaces I exist in, you know, you really talk about like, what's the value I add and what are the skills that I bring, you know, and sometimes, yeah, that doesn't mean, oh my God, if I'm just sorting my email all day, I'm not operating at this like higher value and higher value is a loaded term, but I just appreciate you putting that out there and just reminding people that you don't have to always keep doing it the same way you've done it as you evolve as an artist, as a person, whatever your life looks financially, you know, it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to get help as well. So yeah, yeah, I often think about the many practices I do and the many people kind of on my team to keep me grounded and sane. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. That's a real web. (laughs) Yeah. It's a real web. It's a real web. (laughs) But, and then another thing, and I love that you, when you told me about listening to music before this call, I just like visibly relaxed. I was like, Mm. oh, that sounds so nice. I did a visualization before this call, and I also drew a card from the Spirit Speak Vessel deck. Great. Yeah. And ironically, the well, not ironically at all, actually, quite 
specifically the card I drew was rest. Love it. So I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) It's funny. I mean, I think, you know, Mary who made that deck is someone who I think of when I think of sort of like punks who have businesses, you know, who I really look up to and look to. And, you know, she's shared a lot publicly about, you know, she self-publishes her decks and, you know, a punk who's covered in tattoos and lives in Joshua Tree and bought her own house and like lives this life and like is, you know, makes art and is filled with joy. And I think it's like, it's important to me to see other punks basically choose that and do that and step into that. So I like that you used her deck. Oh, thank you. Well, I love that she is an inspiration to you as well. And her art is so amazing. And I think something that's really cool about self-published or independent tarot decks, similar to zines, is you have this addition of Mm -hmm. art that somebody Mm -hmm. made. I feel like it's a real connection to an artist. And it's also a, a service to me as the person like your zine library where you can go back yeah. and reference gardening sobriety yeah. you know art making whatever you need that day i'm curious about i think about this a lot i think i was lucky or maybe it's just my personality that the form of punk i discovered was very proactive very community oriented it was less than like nihilistic like nothing matters punk it was much more political than that but I'm curious there is that you know when you talk about looking for role models of punks who are living a life of joy do you feel there's sort of that darker more nihilistic side that you had to kind of push against or overcome at all or was that not your experience yeah I mean I would say that the punk scene I came from was more that sort of like everything sucks nothing matters we just have to like make music Mm -hmm. and I think it was it was really sort of like I do feel like I found another like punk or alternative community in I lived in housing co-ops when I went to the University of Michigan and I think that's where I was like oh there's this like other way of being punk where you can be like joyful and hopeful and actually change the world and so that's sort of my like in between ground I feel like but and also like a lot of you know in high school and a lot of the punks I was around were like we were drinking and doing a lot of drugs and that's also Mm -hmm. not a part of my life anymore. And so I think that there's also, there's certain parts of it that I've like left behind that I don't feel sad about, that I'm just like, yeah, I'm like, don't give a shit. That's, we don't, if y'all want to still live that way, knock yourself out. Um, But it's more the like, I feel like it's the financial side that has been much harder for me to like understand how I feel about it. Yeah, definitely. Because that's really it's a hugely loaded thing, not only in punk, but in our society in, yes. in general. Yes. And when we are uncomfortable with capitalism and yet have to survive in it, it just raises a lot of questions. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes it does. I mean, I don't have a perfect answer. I'm trying to figure it out. And it sounds like you also have a way of figuring it out and thinking about reparations, employing people, you know, giving to causes, things like that. Do you have a strategy for that? Or are you just kind of going by feel? Is there inspiration mm. you look to? Yeah, I tend to go by feel. I feel like I talk about this person on every 
podcast I'm ever on. But um, <laughs> Sarah Godestiner is um, a writer and an artist and a friend. And she, yeah, I just sort of like look and, and she's someone who's like old school Portland lesbian punk and, you know, and is someone who, you know, writes and teaches so much about, about money. And she's, she's just sort of who I look to a lot in, in friendship and sort of peer of business owner in terms of like how she, you know, she like, self-publishes a book about the moon but then there's like she has her print on demand version which just she never touches those books they just go through the website so she's just like okay I'll just donate all of that money to whatever organization feels you know correct to me and so yeah I've definitely learned a lot from Sarah and I think Dory Midnight is another mentor to me and I feel like I've learned from her and from other people who offer services around like, okay, well, if you price something high, that feels uncomfortable, that's going to give you more room for generosity. So if I, you know, have a one-on-one consultation and it's X amount of money, a lot of people can pay that much money. And because then I'm getting paid well, I can have sliding scale slots. I can give away slots to friends who or people who might need them. And so, yeah, I think just looking towards other women who, and I, you know, I look, I think especially it's important as a white woman, as a cis woman to look at like, where is my privilege? Where can I give up power? And where, yeah, can I be of service with that privilege and the platform uh, without putting like, weird unnecessary pressure on myself to save the world. I think that's the other sort of like balance that happens is I think people get overwhelmed and feel like they're just going to do a bad job so they don't try at all. And so it's really important to me to just like slow down, think about each sort of offering I want to give and think about, you know, who's included and who do I want to be included. And that usually means making sure people see themselves in my projects. Those are some of the ways. Yeah, some of it just feels factual. Some of it feels like just doing your anti-racism and class and capitalism research. And some of it feels like, yeah, just sort of like feeling it out and like staying tender and true. Reading Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown was really important to me in terms of like collective liberation and understanding like softness that comes with radical change. I'm really excited to read her new book, Pleasure Activism, um, which I think we all need right now. We really do. Emergent Strategy is next in my pile of library books. Nice. I found there's a limit of books you can put on. There hold. is, there is, yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Fortunately, Brooklyn and New York Public are different systems, so <laughs> love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to read all these, but I'm very excited for Emergent Strategy, and I know it's been highly influential in activist and reflective thinking, social yeah. change circles. So we really need more of that, and I'm happy you're contributing that as well. I mean, I know you talk a lot about taking care of yourself, balancing between work and not work, Mm. but you do so many different things. You (laughs) inhabit so many different identities as an artist, as a business owner. Mm -hmm. How do you, in your mind, balance all of those? Like what is the, you have an artist residency, you know, you're empowering other creatives through that or, you know, giving them the space to empower themselves. Mm -hmm. How do you balance all this? And what's the through line in it? 
I'm just like staring at my bed like, I don't know, Eleanor, I don't know. Um, All right. If someone asked me the question about that in my own life, I'd be like, I don't know. You know, so I don't don't know. Well, I have a lot of, you know, ritual is really important to me. I do my morning pages every morning. I think maybe I'm like staring off into the distance right now because I'm such a, I'm such an addict. I'm so addicted to just like distraction and chaos Mm -hmm. and it can really ebb and flow in my life. And springtime feels really important to me. I quit drinking in um, eight years ago this spring. And congratulations. Thank you. That's so awesome. So much. Appreciate it. But it like springtime, you know, already holds so much, you know, rebirth and renewal that I'm, and it holds that anniversary. And so I think I'm always sort of really thinking about how am I distracted and how, like, where am I not finding balance? I was just interviewed by this amazing writer, Alex L. And she offered something I will now offer us, which is instead of using the word balance, thinking about the word harmony, which I really love because I kind of think that balance is bullshit in some ways. It's like I... Because there are days where I work 14 hours and I love it. I'm so happy. It gives me so much life. I'm glad I didn't eat or take a break, you know? And there are other days where like, that is so incorrect and like not okay and really depleting. I'm sort of trying to look at like, okay, what is, how do I like harmonize all of these things? And so yeah, my, you know, a daily writing, having daily things or weekly things. I go to the beach every Monday I write my morning pages every morning. I try to drink a lot of water. I drink herbal infusions. 12-step stuff is really important to me. And so I sort of have these little ritual anchors. But yeah, I mean, I think it's also about, for a lot of people, you know, especially those of us who don't have a nine-to-five job or have a boss, that there's, you know, literally just talking to my ex-girlfriend the other day where she was saying like, oh, I think I'm finally able to see that it's okay that I like work in these really manic spurts and like produce a lot of work. And I was like, yes, like that's fine. Like that's, some people do it that way. And that's, I think that there's this over, like in self-help world, there's this like over focus right now on like, how do we find balance and self-care in this way? And I'm like, yo, do you have three planets in Gemini? Cause I do. And it's crazy over here. Like, so good <laughs> luck you. to somebody I else. Like you. we're I just, there's so many th- like whether it's human design or astrology, like there's so many things that make us all so different. So I think it's about like, I like what you said really quick too, about the, like, yes, I run an artist residency and I do empower people, but I also like, I really love creating the container for people to empower themselves. And I think that that's, what I hope my book and books and zines and all my work always does is like, don't, don't do it my way. Cause my way is so specific to me, but please like do what you can to find your way. And then, then hold yourself to that standard, not to mine, not to anyone else's. I love that. And I think the older I get, despite being a punk and I think punk appealed to me because it was and Riot Girl, this permission slip to be the feminist weirdo I knew that I was. Yes. But it's still been so hard to push off these ideas of how things are supposed to be in life and how I'm supposed to organize mm-hmm. my life, whether that's jobs, relationships, where I live. 
just how I run my days, how I think of myself as an artist, how I support myself as an artist. And the older I get, the more comfortable I feel in pushing all of that off and saying like, this is the model I'm going to make for myself. It doesn't make it right for other people, but I'll find my way in it. And it's also an act of trust, I think, because you give up this certain consistency or community that is never a guarantee. But I think sometimes we think, oh, if I follow a certain path to success, to live or relationships or work Mm -hmm. or anything, like I'll feel taken care of, which is not always the case. So I just really appreciate all that you've doing to find that for yourself and then creating opportunities for others. And I know from working with artists, like space and time is just so important yeah. as well. Yeah. So I'm, it's awesome you provide that for folks. Well, <laughs> and so I'm curious, at the beginning of this conversation, you talked about being on tour with Katie and this kind of 10-year evolution of being accessible to audiences that you maybe are wider than you would have originally thought. So I'm just curious to talk a little bit more about that experience and how that's broadened your perspective as well. Yeah, I think that that's a really, you know, something I felt about turning the zine, How to Not Always Be Working, into a book published by HarperCollins, which is, you know, the king of capitalism in terms of, you know, if we're going to talk about book publishers. And it was interesting because William Morrow, which is the imprint of HarperCollins that I worked with, was amazing, you know, and like I've, I talked to a couple different small publishers who really wanted like so much control. And so, you know, they actually wanted to sort of like pin me in this like really specific way. So it was Mm -hmm. sort of interesting that like the big beast that I was sort of like afraid of. And so like, oh, I would never do that. Were really the ones that not only gave me the most creative control, but they also, you know, my book has is so widely distributed in a way I could have never seen with a smaller publisher or certainly self-publishing. Yeah. And it really brought up a lot of questions around around accessibility in my work. And like knowing that, you know, my book was at in every Target across America, which is kind of the place where every kind of person goes. I was really afraid at first. I was like, oh my God, like I can't, I can tell no one. Like this is going to ruin my r- punk reputation. Like all my punk points are gone. I'm at freaking Target. Like right, we're done. Right. I quit. Now I can never <laughs> see the light of day. You're kicked um, out of punk. And we know that there are probably people who think that. And yeah, yeah, I know. It's okay. And I was like, you know, if the little queer kid from Michigan can be in Target, let's let her be in Target. You know, I had to like yeah. tell myself that. And so I think that there, and just like seeing who started interacting with me on the internet and in this new way of these people who like, you know, that I had this woman comment and she was like, I found your book misplaced in a Target on my way to therapy and I've never heard of you before. And it changed my life. And I was like, great. Okay, see, here we go. Like, and so I think that's, you know, I see that with Katie's work for sure is like, yeah, I used to book shows where she played for six people, you know, and now I watch her like play for a thousand people or, you know, open up for Sleater Kinney or something in front of thousands of people. And it's like, you know, so many isn't at the end of the day, don't we want people to hear? I, I keep think, coming back to that being of service. It's like, if I really want to be of maximum service, I'm not like waking up every day, like, I hope 
20,000 copies of my book sell today and I'm a famous person now, but I'm definitely like getting more comfortable with like, okay, are people interested in helping me spread this message or my work? Then maybe it's not so bad to take it. And yeah, there was a, I think my most like profound, I got a um, email recently from this I think it's in Milwaukee, but it's a group of women who are domestic abuse survivors who have a book. I feel like I'm going to cry. I haven't even told this story out loud. Who who have their domestic abuse survivors who have a book club and they read how to not always be working for their book club to remember that like their own art practice and their own work is the what they can rely on and like what can keep them safe. And they sent me a picture of like all of their hands over the book. And I was just like, all right, done. Like if yeah. like that's, that wasn't like, of course things like that can happen on a smaller scale, but like that was a big moment for me where I was like, the, these people weren't going to know about me in just my like punk world. And if I can like bring those values to this, to the, to that group or to like the normie mom who goes to target, like that feels better to me for everyone than keeping it secret or something. I am also tearing up. I'm just like smearing off what's left of my mascara, (laughs) which is fine. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that. And absolutely. And why not take that platform and reach people. You know, I think sometimes we think we are going to, and it comes back to that idea of this sort of savior idea, this white savior idea of like, I'm going to take it on and change the world. Yeah. And so I'm going to reject these platforms. And yeah. it's like capitalism is not going to crumble Mm-mm. if you say no to an opportunity that introduces you to a wider audience. Correct. It, there, you know, there may be compromises down the line, but those are to make. And I think sometimes it's also just about not saying no before we think about like, well, what could it be? And also I'd say why it's so important for artists to know how to stand up for themselves and to ask for what they want and need. So when those opportunities do come, they're able to take advantage of them in a way that feels good and authentic to them. And yeah, I think that's something like I really took from my time as an arts administrator as well, in which I know you have that background too. Well, I had a few thoughts I wanted to talk about, and that's I love everything that you shared, and I'm so appreciative of you taking the time. People can find you on Instagram. Where else are good places to find you? You have a great newsletter, as you mentioned. It's weekly. Yeah. 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 My website is marleygrace.space. And if you go to marleygrace.space slash home, that's where like all the easy links are. So you can book a creative advising session, apply to the residency, subscribe to the newsletter, listen to the podcast, buy my zine. They can find it all there. Amazing. So many channels with which to engage with your great work. Yes. Thank you. You're so welcome. Thank you. You can find Marley at marleygrace.space. That's M-A-R-L-E-E-G-R-A-C-E dot space, where you can sign up for her lovely newsletter and learn more about her many projects, including the Center Artists Residency. She's also on Instagram at Marley Grace. Her workshop, Composition and Practice, is being held May 17 to 19, 2019 in the Catskills. 
For more information on me and this podcast, you can visit eleanorcwhitney.com slash podcast, where I've also included links to many of the artists and ideas Marley discusses in this show in the show notes. While you're visiting my site, I'd love it if you signed up for my mailing list. You can also follow me on Instagram at killerfemme. I want to give a special thanks and shout out to Heather Marandola and Andrew Muhammad. Your generosity enabled this podcast to continue and has given me the tools to keep making during this difficult time. The song Half Lie by Talene Kelly is our theme music. You can hear more of her work and support her at talenekelly.com. Finally, if you liked this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It means a lot to me and helps others discover the podcast. Thanks, and until next time. (laughs) 